Before we get started, before any of this starts, I'd like to remind you that you can experience an ad-free version of this by clicking the link in the description that says plus.acast.com slash s slash Radio Free Catholic. May God bless you and the Virgin protect you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Exurga Deus Dissipentur in Amici Eius, et Pugianchio Derenteum Apache Eius. Let God arise, and let his enemies be scattered, and let all those who hate him flee from before his face. Due to the time that I'm recording this, I'm going to go ahead and not subject you to my bad guitar playing, and we're just going to go straight in. <clears throat> Vladimir Putin gave a speech um, at a meeting of the Valdai Discussion Club. Um, I'm not entirely sure what a discussion club is. Um, it seemed to, I got the impression from listening to the speech that it was a, uh, um, kind of an intellectual planning thing, not dissimilar to like the world economic forum in its scope and in sort of the things that they were trying to do. Um, however, one of the things I do rather like is the fact that I was able to get this with a transcript so that I could actually read it out in English. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. Let's get started with a prayer. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Sancta Michael Archangelae, defende nos in Proelia. Contra nequitiam et insidias, diaboli esto praesidium. Imperatili Deus, supplicas de precamur, fuque princeps militae calestis, satanam aliosque spiritus malignos que ad perditionem animarum, Pervegantur in mundo divina virtute, non fernum de trulli. Amen. Cor Iesu Sacratissimum, miserere nobis, Mater dolorosa, ora pro nobis, Beatus Carolus Domo Austriae, ora pro nobis. Domine, ostende facem tuum et salvi erimus, Ave Maria Purissima, Immaculata Conceptio Est. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. All right, so... <clears throat> You tend to get a lot of mixed stuff, and particularly when it comes to talking about Russia. And I wanted, I'm actually just going to go ahead and read this speech in its full. Um, and I might dip out briefly to make mention of a few things that need to be paid attention to. Um, what is obvious to me is that as of at least three weeks ago, uh, the leader of Russia has not yet been converted. Um, and some of this will become obvious in, in some of the things that he says. 
there are many other things in this speech that he says that are very valid, that are um, legitimate criticisms of the West, and in particular of the United States. And, I mean, you know, anybody looking at it with an honest face uh, will look at it and go, yeah, yeah, that's kind of messed up, and yeah, we could probably do better with that. Yeah, we probably ought to change that. Um, and everybody else is going to be like, oh my goodness, you're a Putin shell, or whatever. I, whatever. I don't care. I'm a Catholic. <clears throat> so what we're going to talk about here is some of the things that are being missed, because what is quite clear is that the leadership in the West, both in the European Union and in the United States, are not listening. And so it's kind of important to hear what is being said so that we can at least formulate the proper opinion and or response. And there are some things, particularly as a Catholic, that I think we should respond to, and I think we should be standing up and, and standing against, even of the so thoroughly based Russia. Um, and I got to be honest with you, like to be blunt, most of what Putin is doing in, in his country um, is somewhat philosophically solid. But you're going to get a chance to see what he's looking at, what he's talking about. Um, and, you'll, and you'll see some of the flaws in what it is that he's putting forth as potential solutions. <clears throat> um, and they are they're not insignificant flaws. It's not that there's a bunch of flaws. It's that there's principally one flaw that expresses itself again and again and again in a few slightly varying ways. So <clears throat> let me go ahead and get done talking about it. Let's dive into this thing. All right, from Putin's speech, quoting Vladimir Putin. <clears throat> Thank you very much, dear participants of the plenary session, colleagues, ladies and gentlemen. I am pleased to welcome all of you in Sochi to the anniversary, as our presenter has just said, the 20th annual meeting of the Valdai International Discussion Club, or one might say, your forum, which traditionally brought together politicians and scientists experts and public figures from many countries of the world, once again, confirms the high status of this popular and intellectual platform. Oh, and this is, keep in mind, this is a, a, a computerized translation, so some of this is going to get a little uh, crumpy. <clears throat> oh, hey, new word. I'm going to have to figure out what a definition, well, you'll figure it out. Anyway. The Valdai discussions are always a reflection of the most important processes in world politics of the 21st century in all their completeness and complexity. I'm sure that this will be the case today, it was probably the case in previous days, when you discussed among yourselves, and it will continue to be so because we are faced, in essence, with the task of building a new world. And as and at a and at such a, and at such a defining stage, it's crumpy, man, it's crumpy. That's what I'm saying here. Um, you know, digital translations from Russia into English idiom is is difficult. Um, so this actually probably would make sense. I should probably say this in a Russian accent, probably come, come through a little more clearly. Anyway, sorry, en enough spinning off. And at such a defining stage, the role and responsibility of intellectuals like you, dear colleagues, is extremely great. Over the years of work, this club, both in the world and in our country, as, as I just said, um, serious, if not huge, and colossal changes have occurred. By historical standards, 20 years is not very long. Not very long. But when it falls during the era of the breakdown of the entire world order, 
time seems to compress. And I think you will agree that more events have happened in these 20 years than in other times. You know, happens in many, many decades. And these changes are qualitative, requiring fundamental changes in the very principles of international relations. At the beginning of the 21st century, everyone hoped that states and peoples had learned lessons from the costly, destructive, military, ideological confrontations of the last century. Everyone realized the destructiveness, everyone felt the fragility and the interconnectedness of our entire planet. Everyone was convinced that global problems of humanity require joint action and the search for collective solutions. But selfishness, conceit, and disregard for real challenges will inevitably lead us, or, well, they will lead us to a dead end, just like the attempt of the stronger to impose their own ideas and interests on others. This should have become obvious to everyone, but it turned out that this was not the case. No, that's not true. When we first met at a meeting of this club almost 20 years ago, our country was entering a new stage of its development. Russia had overcome the most difficult period of recovery after the collapse of the USSR. We, with all our energy and goodwill, became involved in the processes of building a new, as it seemed to us, more equitable world order. The good thing is that our country is able to make a huge contribution to them, since we have something to offer our friends, partners, and the whole world. Unfortunately, some misunderstood our readiness for constructive interaction. They understood this as submission, as agreement that the new world order would be built by those who declared themselves the victors in the Cold War, in essence, as recognition that Russia is ready to follow someone else's lead, that it's ready to be guided not by its own national interests, but other people's interests. All these years, actually, let me, let me not go any further than that. Okay, so... <clears throat> What he has just said, for those who are honest about foreign relations over the last 20 years, for those who are honest, what he has said is absolutely true. They had a massive degradation of their society after the collapse of the Soviet Union. <clears throat> and you saw it across the board, abortion, prostitution, drug use, alcoholism, etc. It was massive absolutely massive. In fact, I remember shortly after the fall of the Soviet Union that there were many comedy sketches made about the new capitalism within the Soviet Union and the and I wish that something like YouTube would have existed back then because I'd be able to pull up the video clips and play some of the, and play some of the satire that was played during that time. Now, it is absolutely true that they came that they showed up and they're like, "Okay, cool, we've kind of got ourselves in somewhat of a stable footing, and we'd like to come in and participate in this whole thing. And you'll remember, once upon a time, Vladimir Putin was once one of the quote-unquote young global leaders of the World Economic Forum. He was actually part and parcel on board with the whole thing because he thought that the World Economic Forum was the best place to participate and really kind of help integrate Russia into the international schema. And they actually believed this. And then we proceeded to treat them like garbage. And we did. In the absolute. And Vladimir Putin broke away. Not immediately. He was still participating for a very long time. Um, but the breakaway really started to pop off during Maidan. That was when it really, really kind of accelerated. Anyway, continuing. 
<clears throat> All these years, we have warned many times, this approach not only leads to a dead end, it is fraught with an increasing threat of military conflict. But no one was going to listen to or hear us. No one wanted to. The arrogance of our so-called partners in the West, you know, it was simply off the scale. It's impossible to say otherwise. The United States of America and its satellites have firmly taken a course towards hegemony. Military, political, economic, cultural, even moral and value-based. It was clear to us from the very beginning that their attempts to establish a monopoly were doomed to failure. The world is too complex and diverse to be subordinated to one scheme, even if behind it is the power, the enormous power of the West, accumulated over centuries of colonial policy. Pausing right here. This is a mistake. The world is too complex and diverse to be subordinated to one scheme. This is a mistake. We're going to come back to this, but it has this is a mistake specifically having to do with the with the assault on Christ the King. But we'll get back to that. Continuing. After all, your colleagues, many of whom are not here, do not deny that the prosperity of the West was largely achieved thanks to the plunder of colonies over the centuries. This is, in fact, basically true, and all of those centuries can actually be lined up from the 1500s on. Pretty much from Protestantism. And because once you started to break up Christendom, once, once Christendom itself was under attack, then all of these other things really started to come into play. And by the 18th century in the 1700s, it was really just full-on, just god-awful. Anyway, moving on. Well, that's a fact. In fact, this level of development was largely achieved by plundering the entire planet. The history of the West is essentially a chronicle of endless expansion. Again, this is only true starting in the 16th century. When you go prior to that, it gets, you can't actually paint with this broad of a brush. Um, so he's basically picking up from the Enlightenment on. <clears throat> Western influence in the world is a huge military financial pyramid, which constantly needs new fuel to support itself. Natural technological human resources, excuse me, natural technological and human resources belonging to others. Therefore, the West simply cannot stop, and it has no intention of doing so. Our arguments, our exhortations, our calls to reason, our proposals were simply ignored by them. I've already spoken about this publicly and to our allies, our partners. After all, there was a moment when your humble servant simply suggested maybe we need to join NATO. And this is true. A lot of people don't realize at one point NATO was looking at like, they were looking at actually just combining in with the whole of Europe and just kind of being absorbed in. Weird, most people don't remember this, but I remember it distinctly. <clears throat> Carrying on. But no, they don't need such a country in NATO. No, the question is, what else? We believed that we were already one of their own. Excuse me, as our people say, we are now bourgeois. What more do they need? There's no longer any ideological confrontation. What's the problem? Apparently, the problem is geopolitical interests and an arrogant attitude towards others. That's the problem. Their self-confidence. That's the problem. 
we have to respond to the constant growing military political question, uh, pressure. As I have said more than once, we did not start the so-called war in Ukraine. On the contrary, we're trying to finish it. We were not the ones who staged the coup in Kiev in 2014. This is true. That was the CIA. On the contrary, uh, excuse me, this is a coup d'etat. Bloody, unconstitutional. Wherever something happens, we always immediately hear all the world's media subordinated primarily, of course, to the Anglo-Saxon world who say that this is impossible. This is impossible. This is anti-democratic. But in this case, they can do it. They even reported the amount of money they spent on the coup. They can do anything. At this time, we were supporting the residents of Crimea and Sevastopol. We didn't stage a coup, and it was not us who intimidated the residents of Crimea and Sevastopol with ethnic cleansing in the Nazi spirit. Also true. This is actually a valid, this is actually a valid accusation. <clears throat> There's more to it. It's more nuanced than this, but this is a valid accusation. It was not us who tried to force the Donbass into obedience through shelling and bombing. Also true. It was not us who threatened to crack down on those who want to speak their native language. Also true. Well, listen, everyone here is informed, literate people. Well, excuse the bad manners. You can fool the minds of millions of people who perceive reality from the media. But you know what happened there? For nine years, they bombed, they shot, they used tanks. Also true, since as far back as 2018, I remember watching video coverage, particularly on YouTube, where they were taught, where they were showing the war in Ukraine. And I remember looking, going, I wonder what's going on here. I just know that they're fighting. Because at the time, I wasn't particularly well-versed at all as to what had gone on, because everything that had gone on had literally taken place while I was incarcerated. So, you know, I mean, how am I going to find the news? <clears throat> digging, up, digging it up later, now I know. <clears throat> war. Continuing, sorry. Um, war, a natural war against Donbass, was launched, and no one counted the children who died in the Donbass. No one in other countries, especially in the West, cried for the dead people. Also true. The war, started by the Kiev regime, with the active and direct support of the West, is already in its tenth year. Also true. And a special military operation is aimed at stopping it, which seems to be the case. And it reminds us that unilateral steps, no matter who takes them, will inevitably be let, met with retaliatory actions. As you know, action gives rise to reaction. This is basically true. Um, because when once he went in, then all of a sudden there was, there was another immediate response. And this has been basically what everybody's accusing each other of. Is, well, I'm just responding to what you did. And, so, and that's why I say it's basically true. I don't know. This one, I don't know if it's necessarily true. But everybody's claiming... I'm just responding to what you did. <clears throat> this is what any responsible state, a sovereign, independent, and self-respecting country does. Everyone is aware that in an international system where arbitrariness reigns, where everything is decided by the one who imagines himself to be exceptional, sinless, and the only one who's right, anyone can be under attack simply for the reason that this or that country does not like the hegemon, who has lost a sense of proportion, and, I would add, a sense of reality. Unfortunately, we have to admit that our counterparties in the West have lost their sense of reality. We have they have crossed all possible boundaries in vain. The Ukrainian crisis is not a territorial conflict. I want to emphasize this. Russia is the largest, largest country in the world in terms of territory. We have no interests in terms of conquering any additional territories. We still have to develop Siberia, Eastern Siberia, 
and the Far East. This is not a territorial conflict. This isn't even the establishment of a regional geopolitical balance. The question is much broader and much more fundamental. We're talking about the principles on which the new world order will be based. Let me put a pin here and draw back a couple sentences. This is something that I think a lot of people have not taken into account. And while I'm sort of wonky, squiffy on what, how much I believe this, um, what he says is factually accurate. Russia is the largest country in the world in terms of territory. Now, the no interest in, in conquering any additional territories, eh, okay, questionable, don't know. We still have to develop Siberia, Eastern si Siberia, and the Far East. This is absolutely true. Ask anyone, and you look at Russia, and most of the development is actually sitting right around Central Europe, from Moscow down. And it's literally just kind of all right there. And let's be real. If you have such a broad national boundary, why not actually put in the infrastructure and actually develop, at least put in basic rudimentary systems of commerce and transportation, basic rudimentary um, infrastructure to be able to move some of the resources around your own country. That seems, I mean, that is exactly what the United States of America did under the, under the whole uh, Manifest Destiny stuff. We went out to the West, and then we connected the two, and we proceeded to develop a large portion of that which is in between. Now, granted, there's a huge portion of the... Um, of the Western region. I'm going to say the Western region because I'm really talking about like Nevada, north of Vegas and Utah, Idaho, Montana, and the Dakotas that kind of, and Wyoming that kind of just sort of largely get ignored for whatever reason. I can't tell you the cultural reasons on that one. I can tell you that when you look, when you look at the infrastructure that's built across the country, it's really, really dense in the Northeast, really, really dense across the Pacific coast fairly dense in the southeast and then you get into like from the midwest to the west the interconnecting tissue in between there is kind of sparse and thin russia has resources in the eastern in the easternmost parts of its country that they haven't had an opportunity to develop yet and so it does stand to reason that when he's saying we still have siberia eastern siberia and the far east to worry about over here you know, where we could actually build all this stuff up. I'm inclined to say that's reasonable. <clears throat> As to the other stuff, I can't speak to that. <clears throat> anyway, continuing. This is not a territorial conflict. This is not even the establishment of a ge regional geopolitical balance. The question is much more broad and much more fundamental. We are talking about the principles on which the new world order will be based. Lasting peace will only be established when everyone begins to feel safe, when everyone understands that their opinions are respected and that there is a balance in the world. I'm not so sure about this. <clears throat> when no one is able to force others to live and behave the way the hegemon pleases. It depends on who that hegemon is. Um, if it's the United States, then I'm generally in agreement. If it's Christ the King, then... <laughs> um, yeah, no. Not really. Christ the King. That's the one. Anyway. In such a scheme, the very concept of any sovereignty is simply denied by them. Excuse me. It is simply thrown into the trash. It is obvious that their commitment to block approaches, their desire to drive the world into a situation of constant confrontation between them and us is a vicious legacy of the 20th century. I, 
I don't know about legacy. <laughs> I'm going to leave. That's really the only thing that I, I don't know about legacy. I'm just going to leave. That's really the only thing. This is a product of Western political culture, at least in its most aggressive manifestations. I will repeat that the West always needs an enemy. Well, a certain part of the West. For a certain part of the Western elites, they need an enemy, the fight against which can explain the need for forceful action and expansion. But they also need an enemy to maintain internal control in a certain system of this same hegemon, within blocs, within NATO, or within other military political blocs. If there is an enemy, then everyone should rally around the boss. It is none of our business how other states live, but we see how in many of them, the ruling elites force societies force their societies to accept norms and rules that the citizens themselves, at least a large number of the citizens, and in some countries, one can absolutely say the majority of citizens do not want to accept. But they force them, constantly inventing reasons for this, finding external culprits for growing internal problems, inventing and inflating non-existent threats. Now, I don't think I actually have to dive in here and say, oh, well, this can't be true because you can, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you know that what he just said is absolutely true. <clears throat> there is nothing about the current morality being, being espoused in these United States at the, at, at the national level by the loudest voices. There is nothing about that morality that any traditional or faithful Catholic wants anything to do with. Not the LGBT agenda, not the BLM agenda, none of it. Not the bug agenda, the climate agenda, none of it. None of it is actually going to be helpful. And by and large, there's a huge portion of the United States and a huge portion of the world that wants nothing to do with these things. And yet it's getting shoved down our throats regardless. <clears throat> and... Inventing and inflating non-existent threats, uh, violent domestic extremism, white supremacy, anybody? I mean, come on. <clears throat> anyway, continuing. At the same time, Russia is a favorite topic of such politicians. Of course, we're already accustomed to this. We're historically accustomed to it. But they're trying to create an, the image of an enemy out of everyone who is not ready to blindly follow these Western elites. And they can make it out of anyone from the from the People's Republic of China, well, I mean, they're actually an enemy of humanity anyway, in certain, in certain situations, at a certain moment, they also tried to make an enemy out of India. A lot of people don't realize this is also true. Of course, now they're flirting with it. Mm. That is true. It pains me to say that's true. Because it's ridiculous. But it pains me to say that that is also true. <clears throat> anyway. The Indian leadership, oh, excuse me, let me back up. We understand this very well. We feel and see the situation in Asia. This is all clear. The Indian leadership, I want to say that it is independent. It is very nationally oriented. I think that these attempts of theirs make no sense, but nevertheless, they continue. They're also trying to create an enemy from the Arab world, also selectively. They try to act carefully. <laughs> yeah. Saudi Arabia should be a pariah. Anybody remember that? Oh, now it's Iran. Anybody remember that? I mean, that was just last week. Syria, Lebanon. Nobody's talking about Qatar, which is weird because, you know, if there was if there was some continuity here, they'd be talking about Qatar and they'd be talking about the United Arab Emirates. They'd be talking about some of the other people who are participating in all of this. 
And I'm not saying that they should be talking about all of those places. I am merely pointing out that if they were being consistent, they would. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. be talking about these places. But nevertheless, in general, this is what it all comes down to. And even for Muslims in general, they are trying to create some kind of hostile environment. Now remember, this is actually, the meeting I think was actually the day before Hamas. So I'm not so sure if he was ready for that one to not age quite so well. Anyway, and so on. Continuing. In fact, anyone who behaves independently, who follows their own interests, instantly turns into an obstacle for these Western elites that they need to eliminate. They're imposing artificial geopolitical structures on the world. They create closed block formats. We see this in Europe, where they have been pursuing an impudent line on NATO expansion for decades, as well as in the Asia-Pacific region and South Asia, where they're trying to break break an open and inclusive architecture of cooperation. Now, This is actually a callback um, to the alliance between Australia, India, Japan, and America against China. For those of you who don't recall, this was a thing. It still kind of is a thing. I forgot what what they called it, but it basically is kind of a quadrilateral uh, arrangement. You know, those four main states who are kind of, who suddenly started looking to protect themselves from China. And, I mean, admittedly, China's the enemy of humanity, is an enemy of humanity, so this is not terribly surprising. The block approach, we will call a spade a spade, is a restriction of the rights and freedoms of states to their own development, 
and attempt to drive them into a certain cage of obligations. This is, to a certain extent, this is an obvious thing, this is a taking away of the part of the sovereignty. And then, very often, this is an imposition of decisions in other areas in addition to the security sphere, and primarily in the economic sphere, as is now happening between the relations, or in relations between the United States and Europe. Um, there's more than this. There's also a moral sphere going on, because we've been promoting sodomy around the world as well, and all of its derivatives. Um, and then putting an economic price tag on it. And you can see this actually in Ukraine, where they've become much more... What's the word I'm looking for? Um, liberal? I guess we'll go with liberal. Why not? Uh, particularly when it comes to the LGBT agenda. Do recall that while they were beginning to receive all sorts of money from the United States, that while they're fighting a war, what does the Ukrainian parliament do? They legalize sodomy in their country. Because that was the most important thing. Not the war that was happening in their, in their eastern front, but the so-called rights of the Rainbow Coalition. Like, come on, man priorities. But that was all connected to American money. <clears throat> anyway, there's no need to explain this, but if this is necessary, uh, then during the discussion after my opening remarks, we will talk about this in more detail. To do this, some are trying to replace international law with some order. What order is this? It's an order based on certain rules. And you've heard this actually from Western politicians, me again interjecting here, the rules-based system. Well, whose rules? I'm sorry, I'm saying this personally, and he's about to say this in the very next sentence. <clears throat> what are these rules? What Of what kind are these rules? Who invented them? This is completely incomprehensible. This is just some, and he actually says the word, or whatever the Russian equivalent is, for BS. But they are trying to introduce this into the consciousness of millions of people. They say we have to live by the rules, but by what rules? And in general, if you allow our Western colleagues, especially from the United States, they're not only arbitrarily setting such rules, but they teach us at the same time. They say who should follow the rules and how, in general, to who, in general, who should behave and how. And all this is done and said by them as a rule in an openly boorish manner. This is the same manifestation of colonial thinking. All the time we hear, all the time that they say, we owe something, that we're obliged, that they're seriously warning us about something. Well, who are you? What right do you have to warn someone? This is simply amazing. Maybe for those who say this, maybe it's time for you, to, to you yourself, to get rid of your arrogance, to stop behaving in relation to the world community in such a way that it perfectly understands its tasks, its interests, and it's time to get rid of this thinking from the era of colonial rule. I want to tell them, wipe your eyes. This era is long over and it will never come back. Never. I will say more. Over the centuries, such behavior led to the reproduction of the same thing. Big wars, to justify which they came up with various ideological and sometimes pseudo-moral justifications. And this is especially dangerous today. Humanity has the means that, as we know, can easily destroy the entire planet. And the manipulation of consciousness on an incredible scale, leads to a loss of sense of reality. Of course, we need to get out of this vicious cycle. We need to look for some way out. As I understand it, dear friends and colleagues, you're gathering at the Valdai site for this purpose. 
In the concept of Russian foreign policy adopted this year, our country is characterized as a distinctive state civilization. This formulation accurately and succinctly reflects how we understand not only our own development, it reflects the basic principles of the world order for the victory of which we hope. In our understanding, civilization is a multifaceted phenomenon. Now, this is actually going to be where he's going to start to go a little off the rails for those of us of a traditional mindset. <clears throat> of course, many people interpret this phenomenon differently. There was also an openly colonial interpretation that supposedly there is a certain civilized world that serves as a model for others, and everyone must follow these standards, these models, and those who do not agree will be driven into this civilization with the baton of an enlightened master. As I just said, those days are over, and our understanding of civilization is completely different. First, there are many civilizations, and none of them is better or worse than the other. Bing! Falsity number one. They have equal rights as exponents of the aspirations of their cultures and traditions, their peoples. Largely true with caveats. Significant caveats that should not be glossed over, by the way. This is personal for each of us. For example, for me, there are the aspirations of our, of our people, my people, of which I was lucky enough to become a part. Outstanding thinkers around the world, adherents of the civilizational approach, have reflected and continue to reflect on the concept of civilization. This is a multi-component phenomenon. Without diving into ph philosophical depths, and this is probably not the place or time for such reasoning, I'll try to describe it in relation to today. Well, I'll de definitely try to do this. The main qualities of a state civilization are diversity and self-sufficiency. Bing! False. These are the two main components, in my opinion. The modern world is alien to any unification. Each state and society... Now, uh, bing, true, actually, on that one. Each state and society wants to independently develop its own path of development. Also true. It is based on culture and traditions, strengthened in geography and historical experience, both ancient and modern, and in the values of the people. True. This is a complex synthesis in the process of which a unique civilizational community emerges. Its, hetero its, heterogen its heterogeneity and diversity are the key to sustainability and development. No. Over the centuries, Russia has been formed as a country of different cultures, religions, and nationalities. Yes, largely true. Russian civilization cannot be reduced to one common denominator, but it cannot be divided either because it exists only in its integrity, in its spiritual and cultural wealth. Maintaining the strong unity of such a state is not an easy task. Over the centuries, we have faced the most difficult trials. We have always overcome them, sometimes at a very high cost. But invariably, we have learned the lessons for the future, strengthening our national unity and the integrity of the Russian state. Today, this experience is truly invaluable. The world is becoming more and more diverse. It is impossible to cope with all the complexity of processes using simple methods of management, Com combing everyone with the same brush, as we say, which some states are accustomed to. What is very important to add here? A truly, in a truly effective and durable state system cannot be imposed from the outside. It grows naturally from the civilizational roots of countries and peoples, and Russia in this regard is an example of how this happens in life, in practice. There, This is wonky. Um, it's mostly true and false enough. Um, again, Christ is king, and that's actually the caveat. That's the key caveat.
Civilizational support is a necessary condition for success in the modern world. In a disorderly world, unfortunately, one that's dangerous and lost its guidelines. More and more states are coming to exactly this conclusion, realizing their own interests and needs, opportunities and limitations, their identity and the degree of interconnectedness, and their degree of interconnectedness with the outside world. I'm convinced that humanity is moving not towards fragmentation into competing segments, not towards a new block confrontation, no matter how someone motivates it, not towards soulless universalism of a new globalization, but on the contrary, the world that is on the way to a synergy of states, civilizations, large spaces, communities that recognize themselves as such. At the same, now this is okay. So the verbiage he's using here, a Catholic would be best served by looking at distributionism, or um, what is it, the principle of subsidiarity, um, because that seems to be what he's describing, even though he's using weird modernist language. <clears throat> Uh, let's see, <clears throat> large spaces, communities that recognize themselves as such. At the same time, civilization is not a universal construct that is the same for everyone. Actually, it kind of is. Um, again, Christ is king. This does not happen, mostly due to our fallen nature. Each of them is different from others. Each is self-sufficient culturally. Each draws its ideological and value principles from its own history and its own traditions. This is not exactly true. Because if it were true, then we wouldn't have Somali pirates. We wouldn't have had the Barbary pirates before them. We wouldn't have we wouldn't have had to deal with piracy for the better part of two hundred years, if this were true. So, clearly not looking at the whole picture. <clears throat> of course, respect for ourselves follows from respect for others, but there also must be respect from others. Uh, do unto others is kind of there's a very Christian principle right there. Therefore, civilization does not impose anything on anyone, but it does not allow anything to be imposed on itself. I'm not so sure about that. If everyone adheres to exactly this rule, this will ensure harmonious coexistence and creative interaction of all participants in international relations, which is obviously not true, because nobody, not because, not because the, there's anything necessarily fallacious in the argument, but specifically because you're not taking into account mankind's fallen nature. This concerns, uh, this concern, uh, excuse me, this sentence is horribly put together. Um, this concerns responding to external attacks, establishing close and constructive relationships with other civilized communities, and most importantly, maintaining internal stability and harmony. And I would argue that he is absolutely right on the last point there. After all, we already see we all see that the international environment today, as I already said, unfortunately, is both unstable and quite aggressive. And there's one more very important thing. Of course, you cannot be betray your civilization to anyone. Of course, you cannot betray your civilization to anyone. Sorry about that. There was an alarm. Um, <clears throat> this is also the path to general chaos. It is unnatural and disgusting, I would say. For our part, we have always tried and are trying to offer solutions that would take into account the interests of everyone, but it seems that our interlocutors in the West have completely forgotten that there are such concepts as reasonable self-restraints, compromises, and the willingness to give in on something in order to achieve a result acceptable to everyone. No, they are literally obsessed with only one thing, to push, to push, and at any cost, here and now, their interests. Well, if that's their choice, 
then we'll see what happens. The paradox is that tomorrow the situation may change, and that's the problem. For example, and this is actually, I'm just going to interject here because he's talking about the United States in particular. So get ready, get ready for what the world, the rest of the world sees that we don't. For example, there will be internal political shifts after the next elections. Here, the country insists on something. They push through their actions at all costs, and tomorrow, internal political changes occur. And with the same pressure and unceremoniousness, they push through completely different things, sometimes directly the opposite. The most striking example is the Iranian nuclear program. One U.S. administration pushed through one decision. Then Bush. Then another administration came, and they turned everything around, and everything went in the opposite direction. Obama. How to work in such conditions? Where are the landmarks? And I say Bush-Obama, but it's Bush-Obama, Trump, Biden. You look at the policies, they literally just went back and forth 180 degrees. Anyway, moving on. <clears throat> Where are the landmarks? What do you rely on? Where are the guarantees? Are these the very rules they tell us about? This is just some BS. Why is all this happening, and why doesn't this bother anyone? Because strategic thinking has been replaced by following the short-term selfish interests. Not even of countries and peoples, but of changing influence groups. <laughs> this gives rise to the irresponsibility of the behavior of the political elites, incredible by the previous standards of the cold world, who often forgot both fear and shame, and consider themselves absolutely sinless. The, civili the civilizational approach resists such trends because it is based on the fundamental long-term interests of states and peoples. And during the Cold War, for all of the so-called flipping back and forth, there really wasn't that much flipping back and forth. Everybody kind of understood, hey, we have to kind of keep, like, they had different expressions on how they went about it, but everybody was largely headed in the same direction, or trying to be anyway, or at least they lied about being that way. Ah. <clears throat> <sighs> It is based on interests that are dictated not by the immediate ideological conjecture, but by the entire historical experience, the legacy of the past, on which the idea of a harmonious future is based. If everyone is guided by this, in my opinion, there will be much fewer conflicts in the world, and the methods for resolving them will become more rational, because every civilization respects, as I already said, other civilizations, and do not try to change anyone according to its own ideas. Eh. Again, Christ is king. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna plant that one, and because there's a whole big like I could do a whole another show just based on what he's saying here, and then that. So I'm just gonna plant the flag. Christ is king. There, therefore, what you said is false because Christ is king. Um, and <laughs> for those of you who don't understand how I'm using the shorthand, you should probably dial it back and swing on over to some of these episodes. <clears throat> I mean, this is a 30-minute speech, and I'm already at 43 minutes covering it. I really don't have that kind of time. <clears throat> Continuing. Dear friends, I read with interest the report prepared by the Valdai Club for the current meeting. It says that today everyone is trying to understand, to imagine an image of the future. And this is completely natural and understandable, especially for an intellectual environment. In the era of dramatic changes, when the entire familiar way of life is collapsing, it is very important to realize where we are going, what we want to achieve, and of course, the future being created today. Not only before our eyes is it being created, 
but also with our hands. Of course, when we're talking about such gigantic, incredibly complex processes, it is difficult or almost impossible to predict the outcome. No matter what we all do, of course, life will make its own adjustments. But at least we're a, we are aware of what we're striving for and what we want to achieve. And there is such an understanding in Russia. First, we want to live in an open, interconnected world in which no one will ever try to erect artificial barriers to the people's communication, creative fulfillment, and prosperity. There should be a barrier-free environment. That's what we should strive for. That's, you know, living in a country that had a barrier-free environment for 200 years, supposedly, I can tell you that doesn't work. So you should probably be careful with that. <clears throat> Second, we want the diversity of the world not just to be preserved, but to be the foundation of universal development. And this is one of those reasons why I look at it and I go, he still largely signs on to the World Economic, crap, world economic Forum crap, and even, you know, the Fratelli Tutti garbage. And this is the thing that's actually going to be the Achilles heel, because this is one of those things that has to change in the light of the triumph of, of Our Lady's Immaculate Heart. Because what they're, they're kind of headed in the right direction, kind of, but they're always, but they're always kind of making the argument that makes it of itself their Achilles heel. There is a natural law. God did reveal divine law. These things are true. They are fact. Now, outside of everything that was established by both natural and divine law, there's negotiation. So the type of clothing you wear, the patterns woven into the clothes, the languages that you speak, the, um, the, the local traditions, etc., as long as they're not in contravention of natural or divine law, then you're generally going to be okay. But in order to understand natural law, you have to at least have gotten to the point of Zoroastrianism, and in order to fully comprehend divine law, you're only going to get that from the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And then anything that is not governed directly by that which has been revealed by Christ to his apostles and their successors, Everything else is negotiable because everything else isn't going to be big enough where you find yourself pulling out guns and trying to murder each other. <clears throat> but they never put those boundaries on it. They never talk about natural law. They never talk about divine law. It's always in these fluffy things. And when you go that far, you're making, you're like, seriously, you're setting yourself up for failure. <clears throat> only true cultural and civilizational diversity will ensure the well-being of people and a balance of interests. Yeah, I don't think so. Third, we are for maximum representation. I honestly, you know, everybody's hell-bent on representation. The vast majority of people just want to be left alone. So how does that fit into your representation? Mull, over, mull that over for a bit, because that's kind of important. If I want to be left alone, why do I care if I'm represented? I just want to be left alone. I want to worship my God. I want to raise my family. I want to build the things that I can build for my community. 
And beyond that, I just want to be left alone. So why do I care about representation? And they never answer that question, do they? Like, oh, well, if you just want to be left alone, then you have no... Well, no, you still can't impact me if I just want to be left alone. By your own standards, you need to leave me alone. And that's kind of important. Because I'm not making the arguments for, for global democracy. I'm not making that argument at all. I make the argument for Christ as king. And since I'm making that argument, either you meet me there, or I'm certainly not going to bother coming out to you to try and figure out your philosophical nonsense. You show up to my door and show me why your stuff is better. I guarantee you'll fail. You'll just descend into vituperations. In the end, you'll be no, be you'll be no better at, at expressing your views than Martin Luther ever was. Or Tillard de Chardin. Anyway, continuing. No one has the right, and no one can rule the world for others or on behalf of others. Well, I mean, the world belongs to Christ, so that's probably a thing, a factor. The world of the future is a world of collective decisions made at those levels at which they are most effective, and by those participants who are truly capable of making a significant contribution to resolving a specific problem. Not one person decides for everyone, and not everyone even needs to decide about everything. But those who are directly affected by this or that issue decide, and they agree on what and how to do whatever it is, you know, there's that, it, like, that actually, I'm sure in Russian that sentence makes more sense. Fourth, we are, <laughs> we are for universal security and a lasting peace, built on the respect for the interests of everyone, from great and large states to small countries. The main thing is to free international relations from the block approach, from the legacy of colonial, the colonial era and the Cold War. I gotta be honest with you, this isn't a legacy of the colonial era. Um, this is a misattribution. The block approach, the party approach, is not a relic of the colonial era. It's a product of the colonial era. It's part of the colonial era's legacy because the part, the period of time that we consider to be the colonial era was also the same period of time where a lot of countries were going through revolutions and becoming republics from their previous kingdoms. A lot, not all. Spain was in a completely different deal, and and yeah, it, it gets it's a little bit more complex. But the block approach is not, you know, the block approach or the party approach is not a relic of the colonial era. It is part of the legacy born after the dethroning of kings the removal of the crown, as it were. We have been talking for decades about the indivisibility of security, about the fact that it is impossible to ensure the security of some at the expense of the security of others. Indeed, harmony in this area is achievable. You just need to put aside pride and arrogance, and you need to stop looking at others as second-class partners or as outcasts or savages. Well, fifth... We are for justice for all. The era of exploitation of anyone, I've already said this twice, is in the past. Countries and peoples are clearly aware of their interests and capabilities, and they're ready to rely on themselves, and this increases their strength. 
everyone must be provided with access to the benefits of modern development, and attempts to limit it for any country or people must be considered an act of aggression. <laughs> Sixth, we are for equality. We are for the difference in the potential of different countries. This is an absolutely objective factor, but no less objective is the fact that no one is any more ready to obey, to make their interests and needs dependent on anyone, and above all, on the richer and more powerful. This is not just the natural state of the international community. It is the, quintus, it is the quintessence of the entire experience, historical experience of mankind. These are the principles to which we wish to adhere ourselves and to which we invite all our friends and colleagues to join. Dear colleagues, Russia, as it was, it is, and it will be one of the foundations of the world system, ready for constructive interaction with everyone who strives for peace and prosperity, ready for tough opposition to those who profess the principles of dictatorship and violence. We are confident that pragmatism and common sense will triumph, and a multipolar world, world will be established. And in conclusion, I would like to express my gratitude to the organizers of this forum, as always, for their thorough, high-quality preparation. And to all the participants of this anniversary meeting, I would like to say word, words of gratitude for your attention. Thanks a lot. <clears throat> it's easy to see the interweaving in a lot of that. I literally took twice as long to give it to talk about this speech as as he did to give it. It's about 32 minutes long, um, and we're now actually coming up on an hour. But one of the things, one of the key things, is we're not going to be able to make good decisions um, as a people, as a group. You're not going to be able to make like. If someone were looking at attacking my city or they were <clears throat> finagling something, like, for example, the World Economic Forum or the C40 Cities Initiative, um, if I don't know what they're saying, if I don't understand, if I don't take time out to understand what their objectives are, I cannot say that they're attacking me or helping me. Now, Putin has come out and said something that, in the modern world, is reasonable. And there were hints and flavorings of subsidiarity, of distributism. Things that are altogether separate from communism because it actually implies, um, you know, families and communities making the decisions for themselves rather than an entire nation state or a federal government. And in large part, obviously, being a Catholic, I am all about subsidiarity. I could make the argument that he's a bad guy. Obviously, a lot of his actions, very, very provably bad. But if I had to pick between what he's pushing and what the World Economic Forum is pushing and what the, the green weenies at the climate groups and the rainbow agenda and all of, like, literally, all of the, all of the parts that we refer to in general as the woke America and the woke West, if I, were, if I were to choose between his agenda and the woke agenda, I'm going to take his agenda. Now, I don't believe he's correct in a lot of, th in a lot of things. He hasn't 
built his worldview around Christ the King. Around, around, like, he's talked about the rights of nations, he's talked about the rights of peoples, and of people, he has not spoken of the rights of God. We are God's creation. So God's rights come first because he personally owns every one of us. So unless we're approaching all of these international issues that seem to be popping up, with that as our first and foremost, we're wasting our time. There is a God. He did create the universe. He did establish natural law. And he did reveal divine law. And if we're not willing to adhere to all of those things, then we're not in any position to try and make the world a better place. So, as a result, while I would choose Putin, like if I were choosing between the lesser of two evils, I would choose Putin. But because he does not submit himself to natural and divine law, there are some things that he does. But his national policy needs to actually be incorporated in that same way. Because if it were, he wouldn't be allied with a bunch of people who are trying to kill him. And I'm not talking about whole nations. We're not talking about the nation of Georgia, but the region of Chechnya doesn't like him. Because according to the region of Chechnya, he's infidel. And vice versa, in all honesty, because for anyone because anyone for whom Christ is not king, they're infidel to divine law, to divine revelation. And, what, and you're going to say, what about this country or that country? And I'm going to refer you back to Christ the King. Period. Full stop. It all, goes back to, it all goes back to Christ. It goes back to what he handed out, to what he passed down, to what he revealed to us, what God has revealed to us over millennia. That's where we go back. Because it's not like there's these drastic changes from one system to the next. There are, there are tweaks that, that expose a greater understanding of what, was, of what was originally established and understood, what was originally handed down. We're not talking about, oh, all of a sudden we have a new understanding. We're talking about expansions of previous understandings that grow organically, that continue to develop like a tree, develops leaves, and then, event and then eventually develops seeds and fruit and flowers. These things are not alien to the tree. They're part of the tree. They're part of the natural order of the tree. Likewise, the same thing with divine revelation. Everything that the church has taught over the last 2,000 years, we're not talking about new understandings. Well, I mean, we're talking about new understandings now because the yahoos in the Vatican don't want to get with the script. And I'm not talking about everybody at the Vatican. I'm just talking about the ones who are very clearly yahoos. Because they're nuts. They're crazy. They've decided that they want to disentangle themselves from the vine that is Christ. Well, that's not Catholic. It's not Christian. So good luck with that. Because the path that you're going down leads to destruction. And we've already seen it. Again and again, we've already seen it. 
So until someone's actually on the stage talking about the rights of God, <clears throat> about what they have to do for their own countries, according to the rights of God and according to his instruction, we're not going to be there yet. So while I would take the, you know, this, this notion that's coming out of, out of the mouth of Vladimir Putin, he isn't far enough yet. He's still another baddie. It's just in this case, he's less bad than the morons we have running our own country. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. Pray for the church, pray for the nation. Pray for the conversion of our leaders. Do the penance. Believe that miracles are a thing. And, and expect them. Don't just wish for them. Wishing for them means you don't really believe in them. Expect them. So pray, offer penance for the conversion of the leaders of the church and the conversion and the and the various conversions of the leaders around the world. And may God bless you and the Virgin protect you. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. <laughs>